Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Hey, hey, baby. Hope all is well with you all out there. Today's guest on In a Mississippi Minute is one of the guys I always call when it's time to record a song, a single, or an album. He's my guy. He's worked with some of the greatest artists of our time. Uh, just some of the guys that he's worked with. Toby Keith, Keb Moe, Art Garfunkel, Sister Hazel. Sean Mullins, Rascal Flats, Ashley Cleveland, Collective Soul, Kenny Rogers, Lynn Rhymes, the list goes on and on. He's a Grammy winner, four-time ACM-nominated Engineer of the Year, and uh, also has won a recent Emmy. Give it up, and I'm very excited to have my sound guru with me in the house, Mills Logan. Hey, Mills, what's up? How you doing, Steve? I'm good. I'm, I'm I'm struggling a little bit today. It's been been a long weekend, and uh, I had one of those deals where I got in at three in the morning. So I'm stumbling through your intro, but uh, I meant everything I said. I'm excited about having you. Have you been in uh, in Kentucky at your uh, farm over the weekend? I have. I sure have. I've been up there. I work harder there than I do anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I know. it's a different type of labor. It's a blue collar labor. I love it. I work at my own schedule. Yes, it's been up there all weekend, taking care of farm business. Hey, let's talk about that because, you know, obviously when I called and told you I was moving back to the Delta, you know, we were in Nashville together for many years. Um, and I always remember and recall you going like, I got to get away on the farm. And I know when I was writing songs, uh, I needed some sort of physical labor, you know, remodeling the house, adding upstairs, you know, breaking out the breaking out the nail guns and the sausets. And there was something <laughs> um, something therapeutic about it that kept us away from what we were normally doing? I mean, do you do you feel that when you get off, get away from the town and, and work? And I know you have a studio that you can work out of at the house there as well, but do you feel uh, like the farm is just, it's like a much-needed getaway? Absolutely. I mean, ever since I was a kid, from the time I can remember, uh, my parents had a little cottage up there at the farm, and uh, we would spend you know, a good bit of our weekends there's oftentimes just a Saturday and uh, go up there for the day. And as a kid, oddly enough, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did once I became an adult. Uh, after moving to Nashville, the countryside became even more appealing. So uh, pretty much for the last probably 15 years, maybe longer, uh, my wife and I have spent just about every weekend there. 
And uh, she likes it so much, she spends all her time there now, and I go there to see her. But getting away, you know, I love the studio. I love being in the recording studio, being at the console, uh, recording, mixing, whatever. But it sure is nice to have a contrast, and that contrast is the farm. And I get out there, and, and I completely get away for a couple of days from what I do here. I think it helps keep the burnout to a minimum because, you know, we do what we love in the music business. It's easy to do it seven days a week. And uh, most of us realize at some point in our career that you can't do that forever. Right. And uh, so going up, going up there and mowing and helping my father with his cows or checking on the horses or helping my wife in her medicinal herb garden, you know, that's a completely different world, and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think it's vital to, uh, to long-term work in the music business. You know, sitting in a chair all day long, you know, is nice, and I enjoy it, but the sedentary lifestyle is not the most healthy. So no. getting out there and running the heart rate up to 140, 150 beats per minute, weed-whacking a giant fence row of ragweed for two hours straight, that's a lot of work. It's not the most fun work, but I, you know, part of me kind of likes that, at least for a while, not, right. not, not too long, and at my own pace. you got to take me back in time a little bit. You're a kid because you grew up playing music, right? At what point yes. did the playing make its way over to making a living as, as one of Nashville's premier engineers and producers? Well, uh, in, in the late 80s, probably see, 87, 88, in fact, I think one of our trips to the local studio in Owensboro was as the Berlin Wall was coming down. And uh, that was the big news of the day. And we were a local band in Owensboro that would play around the tri-state area. And when we went to the recording studio, it was a small recording studio in Owensboro called Electric Arts Recording. Uh, and it was owned by the guys that ran Owensboro Music Center. And although the studio is no longer there, uh, Owensboro Music Center is still around. But when I walked in there, plugged in my guitar and put on the headphones and heard all the band coming back through the headphones with a little bit of reverb and echo and, and a pretty nice mix, I was like, oh, my Lord, what, is, what have I gotten into? It was maybe one of the greatest epiphanies of my life. And I remember telling the engineer on the other side of the glass, you know, I want to do this. I want to make sure this kind of echo is on my guitar. And I'm sure I was a handful, but I absolutely loved it. And, you know, a lot of artists, I think, are scared of the studio going in for the first time. As a guitar player in the band, I was home. I came home. Wow. I'd never been in a place like that. And I saw the console. It was an old Spectrosonics console and a Scully 16-track 2-inch tape machine and a myriad of outboard gear. And I saw that, and I went, my God, this is the greatest home stereo I've ever seen. Because I loved home stereos as a kid, and this was the next iteration. Mm-hmm. And after being in there, we spent several days on and off over the course of a year in there and ran up a pretty good bill apparently (laughs) and i loved it i couldn't believe it and i was the worst guy in the band my guitar playing was the least accomplished of everybody and after i don't know a year or so i got kicked out of the band and the first thing i did is i went down to that studio and i asked the engineer there a guy named terry height and i said i want to do this I said, I just got kicked out. My life's over. What am I going to do? But I want to come here, and I want to I want to learn how to do this. This amazes me. And he he opened up Mix Magazine and pointed to an an ad in the back uh, for the recording workshop in Chillicothe, Ohio. And I saw that. I called him up. Saved up. Had some paper out money over the years. I'd saved up, and I went to recording school. And that's where it all started. About 1990. You know, by then, by 90 or 91, it was starting to people are realizing that there's an actual field, you know, a career here in this world of recording. 
and they had focused on how to make people, you know, get out in the real world and learn how to be a recording engineer. And it was a short program. It was only about three or four months, but it was intense, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And, then and so I took all three. You're in class, right? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You took all three. Well, we're, we were in class, and uh, we were also there's also plenty of hands-on on the recording consoles. And this was in the very early days of digital recording with hard disk, and they had they had a Pro Tools rig there. It was called Sound Tools back then. It was just two channels mm-hmm. of audio, and there was there was a certain focus on that. Although it wasn't that it wasn't that big, but I was mesmerized by that. You know, as, as I was all of it. I saw this thing where I could put, I could record music into a computer on a hard drive with no tape. What a concept. And uh, that was a pretty, pretty, uh, what's the word? Perhaps it was, uh, it wasn't very big technology then. It was kind of just a novelty then. And it was a novelty for several more years. But by the time I moved to Nashville later that year, actually 91, late 91, June, July of 91, when I moved to Nashville, there was a couple Pro Tools rigs in town, and uh, you could do some editing in them. You could rent the rigs from these guys to do editing and, and so forth. But it's still, you know, the, the town was pretty much console tape machine driven. Uh, right. But, yeah, the school the school focused on all aspects of recording, how to be a recording engineer, how to do overdubs, how to mix. And it was a good school. I thought I, I did really well there. I think I finished second in my class. But it's worth the adding. It's worth mentioning. When I went there, because I played in a band and because I – could run sound from the side of the stage as a guitar player that's you know we weren't a very big band we didn't have our own sound guy so i would run sound from the side of the stage and i knew how to program an elisa's quadriverb so my first day in school i remember sitting in the class kind of the orientation like freshman orientation in college and i'm sitting sitting in class i'm thinking man i know so much more than all these clowns in here (laughs) these guys don't have a clue well it turns out my roommate owned a studio and i was like yeah, <laughs> like yeah, oh no, yeah. And he was so smart; he was light years ahead of me. And it was after the first day I realized, okay, okay, idiot, you don't know anything. And so I just got I hunkered down and got to work. We're in a Mississippi minute. <laughs> uh, we're with the, one of the greatest engineers there is and ever has been in Nashville, Tennessee, as far as I'm concerned, and many other great artists whose uh, word for Mills Logan means a lot more than mine. You're in Mississippi minute. We'll be right back. When I'm away from you is a waste of my time, yeah. Hey folks, if you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy, and listen to this. They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com, enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
I'm Steve Azar. We are with one of Nashville's premier engineers. And when I say engineer, I'm not talking about somebody that's going out and building bridges and all that. Uh, what he does is uh, he makes us music people sound incredible, better than we deserve, to be honest with you. And um, and he does it in such a way, uh, first of all, he's, he's, a, he's a very humble guy. I have tested him in the middle of the night, early in the morning. I have I have pushed every button there is to push on Mills Logan. And what I love the most about you, Mills, is your attitude is always just wonderful. And to be able to work with somebody with, and what I mean is you have no attitude. And that is an unusual, it's very unusual in your line of work because you are sitting there with tedious stuff, uh, dealing with with all these sort of you know buttons and knobs and 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 it's just crazy to me and to watch you remain calm cool and loving during this whole process is actually an amazing thing to me and so once (laughs) i once you were able to work with me on my first project and it sounded better than anybody's ever done with me anybody um i realized that uh Man, I I hope nobody knows about him, <laughs> so I can always have him. Uh, so Mills, you, you so you will you make yourself now you're in Nashville, right? Yeah. And when was it? Who was it? You know, a mentor, somebody that inspired you, somebody that took you in at that point in Nashville, where you got to spend time with some quality music and hit and hit records. Where and when was it? Who was it? Absolutely. Uh, well, when I went, when I finished the recording workshop, Jim Rosebrook, who was the director of the workshop, and I think still is the director of the workshop, uh, said, there's this guy named Jim McHale at Creative Recording that wants to see you. And I said, okay, I'll, I'm all ears. Let's go. And so I drove from Owensboro in my little Ford Thunderbird, my 1979 Ford Thunderbird, drove down here, met with Jim, and apparently Jim had, had been a teacher at the recording workshop many years prior to that. And he would always he had been calling the work, the workshop looking for somebody to work at the studio, and um, so we met, we talked, and he said, "Well, can you just hang out here for a few months?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "I've got a little bit of money saved up. My father's going to help me just a little bit. Uh, between the two, I think I can hang on for two or three months uh, without having to get a full time job somewhere." Mm-hmm. So we just started. He said, "I'm going to, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you work here. I'm going to have you work at a couple other studios as well." And we're going to try to find you a place. And he was really, really good about teaching me studio etiquette, how to behave, be seen and not heard, sometimes not even be seen, but be available in the control room. And um, so I hung out there at Creative Recording for probably from July to probably October or so. And his whole plan, he had a whole plan to tell the studio owners were Brent Mayer, who produced the Judds, Mm -hmm. and then Dan Williams, Mike Stewart, and Tom Smith, who ran a jingle company named Dan Williams Music. And between the two, those guys booked the studio. They pretty much booked it probably 75% of the time. And then occasionally some outside clients would come through. So his plan was to say, okay, we're going to work for two or three months, and then we're going to make sure you're here every day. You're going to get here when it, before everybody anybody gets here, and you're going to be here when everybody leaves. And you're going to do whatever you're told to do. I said, great. I painted kitchens. I cleaned toilets. You I make vacuumed. coffee? You make coffee, all that oh, stuff? Heck, deliver? Oh, heck yeah. Heck Son yeah. of guns. I did every anything they told me to do. I was just happy to be there, not making a pity. And then by about <laughs> October, or so he told he told the guys, he said, "Okay, Mills' time's up here. He's got to go." And they said, "Oh no, you can't leave." And Jim's like, "We we got to pay him something." They paid <laughs> me five bucks an hour. 
I'd make five bucks an hour. In, in 91, that wasn't so bad. I thought, well, if I can make 40, 50 bucks a day, I can probably get by here. Wow. And, uh, so, so they started paying me to work to be the second engineer on jingles. Uh, and these guys did big national jingles. These weren't just, you know, local local spots. These were big, big. Like we did Budweiser jingles. We did Chevy Trucks jingles. We did Hunt Taco Bell. And those guys, and those were fast and furious. And you learned a lot of different styles of music really quick. Mm-hmm. And then on the other the other gig there was Brent Mayer. And I would occasionally assist for him. And he was doing, rec- he had just finished up working with the Judds. He was working with some other artists, Kathy Matea, uh, later worked for Kenny Rogers. And so I got to see his way of making records. And between that and doing jingles with Jim, uh, I got what I thought was a, a really high bar of seeing how stuff was recorded, how music was recorded. Right. And uh, uh, those guys always did good music. It was always good music. And so I, was, I, I learned, that's what I learned. And that's what I thought, that's what I learned, how, to, how, to, how I learned to listen. And Jim would constantly remind me of bad studio etiquette. He was so instrumental in helping me have a good attitude because I'll never forget, fast forward a couple years later, about 93 or so, you know, for two years there, that was a busy, busy time in this town. And it was at that studio as well. And I started to cop an attitude as a second engineer. I thought I knew more than everybody. And there you go again. I thought, there you go. Yeah, there it goes. It came back. Two strikes. And, <laughs> and so Jim said, hey, uh, we need to talk. I said, okay. And he says, hey, he closed the door of the control room. There was no session that day. He closed the door of the control room. He says, you know, there's been some um, discussion about hiring this other fellow that we've got here that comes in occasionally to be this the second engineer on some of these sessions. And I've told them that he doesn't know as much as you, but they like his attitude. And I went, wow. Oh, uh oh. And at that moment, I realized, okay, once again, I need a little attitude adjustment. And pretty much from that point on, I don't think I've regressed. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. Maybe occasionally here and there, but I just realized that there's no check your attitude at the door because you know we're all in here everybody in the room on these sessions whether i'm on a record with you or someone else everybody's super pro everybody's really good at what they do and if you walk in with an attitude there ain't no room for that wow you know what so i just go ahead go ahead i'm sorry you know what i want to say this real quick because i just saw a movie on the way back we were in germany coming back uh uh, on a plane, and it was Borg versus McEnroe. Actual name of the movie, Shia LaBeouf's in it, and the guy that played Borg looked just like him. And I grew up a tennis player, uh, within reason, growing up. And and Borg was always the guy that was so calm and so relaxed, yeah. never and never cracked <laughs> and never got upset, right? And McEnroe was known for just throwing the tantrums and all that, but Blow, blowing up, yeah. But Borg was in his own way equally, uh, and verbally. Uh, used to put an assault on judges and, I mean, um, you know, umpires and all that. He had a really <laughs> bad attitude, and his coach fixed it. Um, and so it was funny because everybody thought that he was always like that. So it's good to know that you were a little bit like Borg was. Uh, oh, and, yeah. And so you need an attitude adjustment. You know what's funny? You know, I, I think there's been times when Gwen has straightened me out, when things started really rolling, <laughs> and she'd go, hey, you know, come on down off the high horse, big boy, you know, <laughs> you know? And, and thank goodness, because I'd have, I'd have been, you know, I'd have been knocked off at one way or the other. So I'd come down oh, yeah. and and uh, I didn't notice it uh, at the time that I was maybe right. uh, losing some humility and, and some of the humbleness. You should always keep, you know, close to your heart. Yeah. Uh, Mills. Absolutely. So this is the, the, the big change. So you start working. They were talking to Mills Logan. Uh, 
you, at what point do you start venturing away from the jingles or did you did it take a minute right these na- i know they're national jingles um yeah and people that are listening to this show on the radio side not the podcast obviously understand that you get a lot of uh you know music and you know it's uh you get these these theme songs for all these products out sure. there so sure. how long were you doing that and what well, first question when did you become not the second guy but the first guy there and how long did you stay doing that before you went out well, uh, Jim McHale, back to Jim, you know, the guy that kind of helped me get yeah. started and taught me a lot of studio etiquette. He, after, I was, I assisted for probably a year and a half, maybe two years on the, on those sessions and on the sessions with Brent. And then he was going to go on the road. He went on the road to be the tour manager for Shelby Lynn. She was a Nashville recording artist at the time. Tremendous singer. Probably one of the greatest singers of all time. And she was going on the road. Brent had made a record with her a big band record, and it was a full horn section, and I think there was like 16 or 17 people on the road, and Jim had worked on the record with her, and somehow they struck up a deal for him to go out and be the tour manager, which is a little bit of an about-face for a recording engineer like himself. So he went out, and he left, and so I was kind of hoping the Jingle guys would hire me to start being their main engineer, and, and they hired a couple other guys, a couple other local guys, a little bit more experience and uh, on a couple of sessions, and then they, they thought they'd give me a try. Hmm. And I start and I I started doing those, and I did those probably for a good, probably another couple years, and it was an intense two years because when you're the engineer on jingles, sometimes you're the punching bag, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you know they're high they're high stress, they move really fast. Sometimes there's a lot of money taking place. Sometimes there's no money, and so you know, and these guys were super talented. Dan Dan Williams, who owned the company, he would write the spot usually the morning of the session. That's how he operated, and he would write this incredible, you know, maybe a thirty-second spot or sixty-second spot. He'd write right there on the spot, and by nine, by nine thirty, quarter to ten, we're in there recording the spot, wow. and by noon, it's done, you know. And then we mix for an hour, and then boom, it's that's it. The whole thing's done by midday. Wow, that's <laughs> so, what we're talking to Mills you know. Logan. I, I want to jump into record the record world and artists in a second, uh, Mills. You know, Mississippi's the birthplace of American music. So many genres of music were influenced by us. And so, with that said, you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear a little Denise LaSalle or a little Faith Hill? Either one. You pick. Come on, I can't pick it. You got to make a decision here. Oh, how about Denise LaSalle? I love that. We're with Mills Logan, one of the greatest engineers on planet Nashville right now. He's been tearing it up. Uh, You're in Mississippi Minute. Will, give me some Denise LaSalle. We'll be right back. Check, check one. Where's all my bio? In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are with the fabulous Mills Logan, one of Nashville's premier engineer producers. If you want to have a hit record, he's one of the few people I can... I'm sitting here trying to... I'm putting all my fingers out right now, and I've eliminated one hand, and now I've eliminated two, three fingers, and I've got two people left. I'm not going to tell you who the other one is, but you're still my favorite, and he's the guy I go to. I know you've made a lot of records with Toby Keith. 
Uh, when did your yeah. relationship with Toby start? Well, uh, that would be about November of 2005. I got a phone call from the late Laurie White, who I greatly miss these oh, days. Oh, I know. And she called me and said, hey, can you come out to the holler? Her and her husband, Chuck Cannon. Chuck Cannon's a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. Laurie's a great songwriter, singer, producer. What a talented couple. And they have this great studio out in Bellevue uh, um, on the west side of town called The Holler. It's their home studio. And she said, would you like to come out to The Holler? Are you available to come out to The Holler to record uh, some sides of Toby Keith? We kind of don't know what we're doing. We don't know if we're making a record or if we're just going to make some glorified demos. He just wants to come in and record. I said, of course I'm available. (laughs) So uh, we showed up, and I think we did two days, two full days, of recording with Toby, and man, I was nervous because I, you know, everybody knew who Toby Keith was by then. By 2005, he was a huge household name. Right. I'm like, holy cow! And the whole time I'm sitting there at the console, and I knew their, I knew their studio well. I felt comfortable there, but I was kind of nervous because I'm thinking, man, this guy's worked with, with you know, he's been he's been in the studio with he could be in the studio with anybody he wants, you know. Right. And prior to that, uh, uh, James Stroud had produced all his records with Julian King, engineer, and who's a, what a tremendous team. Yeah. And they had been together for years. So, and uh, so they were, uh, uh, you know, he's wanting to try something different. And so we went and cut two days, and that, in, that ends up being his entire uh, record, White Trash with Money. And uh, and then he came back a, a few weeks later, and we finished the record, you know, did the additional vocals. And, and then we proceeded to do overdubs. Uh, me and Laurie did a bunch of overdubs on the record. And then she was going to have somebody else i kind of asked i said hey do you need me to mix anything or you know i was trying to be politically correct and not be too pushy right says, well we've got you know we've got this guy that, that might mix so um hmm. we want to you know we might go with him but she goes i need you to do a mix for the billboard music award show i said okay so i'll so i'll mix the first this one song love it i thought man i'm gonna make this mix as good <laughs> as i can yeah this has got to be great and so i sent it to her on kind of sunday the sunday night sent the mix out and she goes, that sounds great thanks I said, all right, good. And that was going to be the, I think that was supposed to be the first single, but the other guy, I don't know if the other guy had mixed it or what. I'm not quite sure the story there. Either way, she calls me on Tuesday and says, we need to tweak that mix and make that the first single on the record. And I went, hallelujah. I love it. Absolutely. That's how it happened. (laughs) That's how it happened. And so I ended up mixing about half the record. So I think the three singles and probably three or four more songs and another engineer mixed the other half. And all the mixes sound great. The other guy sounded tremendous. I loved his mixes. You know, so, you know, and that's how it happened. You know, the funny thing is that while you, it's, it's interesting, while you were working with Toby then, because he had just left Universal with that record, and I, because they had become Universal, we were on the same label. We were Mercury. He left. How do you like me now? All that, right? Isn't that the record? Yep. Okay, so, so he leaves, and I'm the other guy now with his old record label president that he the record label president didn't love toby didn't love me and uh so not, I, it's, it's very public they did not get along yeah 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 yeah. well mine was semi-public but the bottom line was i think that he saw me as toby which was, in fact i went into meetings and he would go i don't need i don't need you to be like you're, you're just like or he'd say you're similar to toby i said what is wrong with that you know that's cool so anyway, <laughs> yeah. anyway long long story short let's don't go there but i was working with stroud then and julian when the, he left them and went worked started working with you and Chuck and those guys more in that capacity, so yep. the, mine was brief, briefly spent. Uh, but um, I realized at that point I really want to be doing my, I'll be more involved in the be production side of it. Uh, even Stroud said it, so that was kind of cool. He go he finally came upstairs and gave me the time. He was a busy man, you know. 
Mm -hmm. I'd come off the hits and uh, that I needed. And he was uh, he goes, I want to hear what you're doing upstairs. So in your studio and you've obviously heard what I do (laughs) in my studio. And and man, (laughs) it sounds a lot better after you grab a hold of it. But, you know, the ability to get to play music up there without anybody being around um, and just grab things. You know, I've always enjoyed doing that. And you've always been really gracious about going like, okay, I can work with that. Somehow you are able to work with it. But it's important for me to be able to do that at times because creatively it just it's a game changer sometimes. A lot of times for me is to do that. Now, what's happened with you and me over the years is I've really gotten dependent on being around you. I really enjoy that process, and I feel creatively free when I'm around you. So it, I feel like you're not in the room, but you're in the room. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it doesn't bother me. Right. I, I, I right. feel like I can be as good as I can be. Uh, so that's always – and that just came with being around you and driving you crazy. We're talking to Mills Logan, who I've driven crazy. So, Mills, so Toby and you have still been making records together for all these years, correct? That's it. That's correct. I love it. I just think that there is a tribute right there. That's a long time. You're talking, we're talking 13 years now to yep. make, working yep. together, and that's proof as well. Uh, you've you've worked. You started working with Luke Bryan in the beginning. Are you still working with guys like Luke? And I, I love hearing Chris Christopherson and you know uh, you know some of these other acts like Ashley Cleveland, uh, Sean Mullins. I just you know Collective Soul. Uh, you know Pat McLaughlin. It's such an array, a different cast of characters you, that you're able to work with and and uh, get into their world. Because musically, I feel like you're sort of everywhere too. So, you, you know, yeah. and that's important. So going from like a Luke Bryan to like a Pat McLaughlin or an Ashley Cleveland is very different. How do you go, how do you, how do you put yourself into that place? The mixes have to be different where the vocals lay. I mean, like, so when you go into there, into a session, how and even with me, you know, or versus Toby. Yeah. You know, how do you get yourself prepared to be in the room with that particular artist? Well, Oftentimes, at least for me, uh, the music speaks for itself. When, like for example, when you walk in and you start playing your acoustic guitar and you start singing, I'm immediately taken to that place, and I just get absorbed into that world. I just the music kind of takes me there, and uh, it's to me it's almost a no brainer as to how you get in there. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, bigger different jumps and styles of music than others, but when you hear the music, you just immediately go, okay, I kind of know what I'm going to do here. Mm-hmm. I got a little bit of an idea. And if it's a room full of session players, and you're doing a track date, a tracking date with, you know, drums, bass, guitar, piano, acoustic guitar, and the singer all sitting there, you know, as they start playing, you kind of go, oh yeah, I get this. And you, you just listen. You, and the music, it's almost like a roadmap. It'll take you there. And, and it, it doesn't hurt that I all, I love all those formats of music. I love, you know, I did two records with Luke Bryan. And I, I liked what he did. I really enjoyed it. I like what Toby does. I like what you do. I like what Pat McLaughlin does. So that doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's really right. nice when you like the music. Um, so, you know, but it just I just listen to the music. It's like a little roadmap. It just takes me hmm. there. And, um, and then if I do get lost, if I feel like I don't know, I'll sometimes go find a little music, you know, after the fact by myself and go listen to something that might be like if it's, you know, if it's a really, really, really country artist, and maybe I haven't done real old school country in a while, 
sometimes I'll just go freshen up on and listen to some old country music records and just listen, you know, late at night by myself where I can put the volume exactly where I want it and, and kind of get lost. And, and sometimes it'll give me a little lesson on, oh, yeah, I get that this type of reverb. Or, Here's right. the drum sounds. Listen to where the vocal's placed in the mix or the, the vocal's buried. Maybe it's really loud and just so forth. And the fidelity of the mix, the balance, the foundation. And uh, that can give you a nice reminder if you, if you, if you don't know. Right. Right. I love that. Well, Mill, so so uh, I, I want to understand a little bit about when sounds and, and you're listening to a particular song, uh, you know, for, OK, I understand it as a songwriter, you know, and 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 how words fall into place with melody. And uh, it's a natural thing. It sounds like it's, it's very natural for you, you know, and just hearing your conversation about this, that you sort of have gut feeling you feel your way through it because it. It's just something that you were born to do, I feel like. I know you had to go through a lot of, jump through a lot of hoops and, and do a lot of studying and learn how to do it. But at the, at the end of the day, it sounds like it's very natural for you to adapt to anybody. So, uh, right. like, what do you, when, I want to know what works, goes on in your brain sometimes when you're going like, oh, this, this reverb for that. Uh, uh, no, not as much for this guy or girl or act. I mean, what goes on in your mind a little bit when, uh, do you surprise yourself sometimes? Well, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you'll just, like, you know, so much of the recording is done in Pro Tools now. So there's, you know, you start with, this, you know, with the, what we call a template and you kind of have some tracks there and, and you have maybe some reverbs dialed up and you'll just start turning stuff up and sometimes you go, oh, that doesn't sound good. Nope, that's not it. Or you'll use an outboard device for reverb or echo and you go, well, that's not it either. Or you'll go, oh, that sounds great, what was already there. Right. Or if you're in a big studio on the track date and they have a nice plate reverb or have a nice digital reverb and you turn that up and you go, oh, that's perfect. You know, it, Oftentimes it's just by accident. Other times it's completely planned. You wow. know, there's no, there's no hard and fast uh, way. Other times the artist will give you a direction where it goes, I don't want any reverb in my voice. Okay. Right. <laughs> Bone right. dry. And that works. Sometimes that works great. You know, like Tom Petty, you know, not typically a whole lot of effects on the vocal. Sometimes there is, but... A lot of his songs, he's pretty front and center, not a lot of effects, and it works tremendous for him. But, you know, sometimes the artists will tell you what they want. Other times it's up to you to kind of figure it out. We're with Mills Logan. I just want everybody to know that this is In a Mississippi Minute. Before we get before we go, I want you to know that Mills Logan mixed this record, In a Mississippi Minute, twice, and uh, also helped me, <laughs> helped me make that record. So uh, it's sort of fitting that he's finally on the show. We're going to be right back. Pack your bags, just tell me that you're coming with me. Let me show you what I mean about a Mississippi minute. You can take your sweet time. In a Mississippi minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I get the ball. I'm Steve Azar. We are with Grammy-winning, Emmy-winning, uh, multiple-time up for the ACM Engineer of the War, Engineer of the Year Award. Which I'm up. have you not won that yet, Mills Logan? Mills or Mills Logan? Not, Mills, have, have you not won, won it? it? I have not won Those it. Those people don't know what they're doing. They don't have a clue. Anyway, I'm too out in left field. That's all right. I like you. Stay in left field. Don't be going to right field. That's too safe out there. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. Mills, I want to talk about this incredible TV. Uh, you guys have been doing Skyville. You've worked with some incredible yeah. artists, and you just won an Emmy, Emmy recently. Uh, talk, tell everybody about Skyville. Well, Skyville is uh, it's Wally Wilson. He's a local producer, publisher, 
music visionary entrepreneur here in Nashville. And Wally and I had worked together for several years prior doing some records and independent records together. And he asked me one day, he said, hey, he goes, I want to take, I've been doing this thing in the basement at Skyville, which is our little studio, our recording studio. And he goes, I want to broadcast it live. And there's a sound stage across the street. Hmm. Do you think we can run a snake across the street and use my Trident console in my little studio to to broadcast this live show? All right, for my listeners, the, the word snake, you got to explain it real quick, just briefly, oh, so they won't an, think an it's audio a snake, python. An audio snake is a is a multi-channel set of wires uh, designed to transmit several channels of audio. In okay. this case, maybe 24, maybe 32 channels of audio. And that would be a kind of a small to mid-level size show. So he wanted to run that snake, right. that multi-channel audio snake across the road. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about some of the artists you've got lined up. Or do you even have any artists? He goes, yeah, we've already got him booked. I said, oh, my. I said, well, who is it? He says, well, Martina McBride, Gladys Knight, and Estelle. I said, wait, wait, wait. We're not running a, a multi-channel audio snake across the road in Berry Hill. <laughs> we, need to have, we need to have a, a remote truck come in. Or dig a so, tunnel, or dig, or, or go go to go to your <laughs> energy company and said, "Let's dig, <laughs> let's yeah. b- bury so the cable." <laughs> I had I had recently, about a year prior to that, done a um, a recording for Toby Keith out in Oklahoma at OU Stadium uh, for the tornado benefit right. for the tornado that went through his hometown and tore up a whole lot of homes, and um, and so he held a benefit shortly after that. And I told his management company, I said, hey, I'll buy, if they want to record it, I'll volunteer my time. Right. And, uh, and the next thing I know, a dozen or more other people had volunteered their time. And one of those guys was Nick Duggar, who owns TNDV. And he uh, brought his big, nice, beautiful remote truck out there to record the show. So that's how I met Nick. So I told Wally, I said, we got to go see Nick Duggar. I said, because this is, this is a big deal, what you're doing. You've already got three really you know, very famous artists here. We need to, this needs to go off really awesome. So he met Nick. And they hit it off immediately. And Nick will basically do a turnkey production for TV, right. um, you know, and on air. So he brought this big, beautiful remote truck, a satellite uplink truck, and we st- and we did our first show. We were all nervous because none of us, other than Nick uh, and his crew, had done much of that. It's and, good to uh, get nervous still at our age. You know what I mean? You need to get Absolutely. nervous. Absolutely, it, it makes you, you better. Your, your comfort zone. You got to push the comfort zone, and uh, don't live in your comfort zone too much. You need yeah. to get out of it, and that's exactly where all of us were. And uh, and the live broadcast went off pretty good, and of course we record all the show. We record the whole show, multi-track audio, and of course cameras. Uh, all the audio goes to Pro Tools, and then we would go back and remix later at my studio, and then re-release it online for catalog and have the oh. whole show available. And it, and the live broadcast was just that; it was just a live broadcast. It wasn't available anywhere else after the show. And so, and then we'd remix the show and make it sound as good as we possibly could. And Wally and myself, and then Kenny Greenberg, who's the band leader and lead guitar player for the yeah. show would produce the mixes with me and so we would just make these mixes sound as great as we could we didn't fix a lot of stuff because we wanted to keep it live it's mm-hmm. a live show we have audience mics just like a typical live recording and but going back and remixing the show and spending a lot of time and detail making it sound as good as we possibly could and i think that's what separates the show from a lot of others okay we, but you're but you're live different. though you're you're saying that so when it goes off live, that's what it is. So are you are you you're yep. mixing as it goes down, and then you go back and yeah. do another mix for audio only. We do it. Yeah, well, we do a remix. It's to picture. It's to the film. It's to the, oh, okay. the video. Okay. And then they they have uh, they had a Facebook page where it's available. They have YouTube a YouTube channel where it's available right. there. And uh, 
And, and Verizon and AOL sponsored the show for a couple of years, and it was available on their links as well. So cool. you can go find it, and that was always the remixed show. Mm-hmm. And that's not uncommon to do that some, but we really took a – because we're all studio guys. We took the studio approach to it to try to make it as detailed and great as we possibly could. And um, and that's what makes the show sound so nice is going back. Because the live broadcast mix is fine. It is what it is. But going back and spending four or five days remixing the whole show, that's what makes it sound really good. Mills, are you working on anything currently? What are you about to do when I leave you? Uh, I just finished a record for Josh Turner. All right. We uh, love that. We did a gospel gospel bluegrass record. Oh, wow. And uh, that was a lot of fun. Very different for us because I uh, don't do a lot of gospel music. And I do some bluegrass, but not a lot. And we absolutely had a blast. Kenny Greenberg produced it. Love and it. I tracked and mixed about two-thirds of the record. And it was an absolute blast. That was what we spent a good part of the summer doing. And uh, I'm finishing up a little independent rock record here, hopefully in the next month or so. Jasmine Kane, uh, worked with her on and off for the last 15 years. And assorted other small projects going. There's always a little something going on here. Oh, I know. Well, that's because you're great at what you do, and you're and you're a good man, and I appreciate you spending all 60 Mississippi minutes with me, considering you're the guy that had a lot to do with that record in the first place and made it sound like it did. Uh, Mills, go go spend time with your bride, your cats, your studio, and uh, I will see you soon. We'll be working together very soon. I love you, brother. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. You can now follow the latest updates across the state with News Mississippi, the exclusive news partner of Super Talk Mississippi. On air, online, and now on the brand new News Mississippi app, you can select the news and weather alerts you want. Just look for News MS in the Apple App Store and on Google Play. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.